CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is a warning, my fellow Americans. The news just broke and it's grim. The banking collapse of 2023, now officially more devastating than the banking collapse of 2008. Call my friends at American Alternative Assets and ask for your free wealth protection guide. Call 866, the number 3, USA Gold. That's right. Call now, 866-387-2465. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Thanks for being with us today. We're going to take a closer look today at why President Obama suddenly decided to show up in public. And we have to ask a number of questions. Among those questions, did he perhaps go in front of TV cameras for a softball interview just to distract from the release of the Durham report and its contents? Or was he actually selling donors on his foundation? Who knew he had one, really? And was he in fact signaling that he was eager to establish himself as the new ultimate arbiter of truth in American politics and media. A dark enough motive in this age of Marxist-dim disinformation, but there may be an even darker possibility. We'll examine today whether his sudden public appearance could be linked to what were a number of White House meetings back in 2016, and which involved a series of discussions about a Hillary Clinton plan to stop President Trump's election that year. And we take up and examine who knew about that plot and whether President Obama himself was involved from the very beginning in what came to be known as the Russia collusion hoax. So here we are. Please be patient with me as we go through the possibilities today. We'll start with President Obama's decision to come out of the shadows this week to address something that is troubling him deeply. Whatever could that be? Perhaps our southern border that his former vice president is now turned over to the Mexican drug cartels. Or perhaps Mr. Obama is deeply troubled that hundreds of thousands of Americans are being killed by the deadly fentanyl drug that is pouring across that border with ingredients made in China. Or perhaps President Obama is finally ready to come clean and acknowledge just who is really running this government. That, in fact, it is his third term as president. That may be true, but no, he didn't admit it yet. Here's the answer, as President Obama himself put it, when he sat down with CBS in a taped interview this week. And here, in his own words now, is what really deeply troubles him. Post-presidency, what about this country keeps you up at night? The thing that I'm most worried about is the degree to which we now have a divided conversation, in part because we have a divided media, right? So I'm much older than you, Nate. You don't look it, though. That's what I was fishing for. Um, (laughs) But when I was coming up, you had three TV stations. Yeah. And 
people were getting a, a similar sense of what is true and what isn't, what was real and what was not. Today, what I'm most concerned about is the fact that because of the splintering of the media, we almost occupy different realities. If something happens in the past, everybody could say, all right, we may disagree on how to solve it, but at least we all agree that, yeah, that's an issue. Now, people will say, well, that didn't happen, or I don't believe that. And one of, I think, the goals of the Obama Foundation and, and one of the goals of my post-presidency is how do we return to that common conversation? So there's President Obama, whose chief worry isn't about this corrupt government. It's not about electoral integrity nor communist China's aggression. No, Mr. Obama is deeply troubled about a divided media with different realities. It's actually amusing, don't you think? No, it's actually downright fun to hear Obama say that what keeps him up at night is, in fact, a big part of his own presidential legacy. Division. A divided media. A divided nation. It's a strong reminder of just who the divider-in-chief really is. In the final year of Obama's presidency, we watched the unfolding of the Clinton plan to stop Donald Trump, the biggest election scandal in American presidential history. And we watched as Obama's Justice Department and FBI carried out a conspiracy to set up and block Trump's presidential candidacy under the false pretext of Russia collusion, a conspiracy organized by the campaign of Obama's former Secretary of State to assure that she, Hillary Clinton, would succeed Obama in the White House. And when Trump confounded the odds and won, that conspiracy of Marxist Dems and the deep state worked tirelessly to overthrow President Trump. Thanks to the Durham report out this week, we know that Barack Obama and his vice president, Joe Biden, were briefed in 2016 by then-CIA director John Brennan that the CIA had evidence of Hillary Clinton's plans to link then-candidate Trump to a fake Russia collusion story. The Durham report said the intelligence came from a, quote, highly significant intelligence from a trusted foreign source pointing to the Clinton campaign plan to vilify Trump by tying him to Vladimir Putin so as to divert attention from her own concerns relating to her use of a private email server. End quote. That from what was termed a highly significant intelligence source. This all under the watchful eye of President Barack Obama, who was briefed in the White House on the conspiracy a conspiracy actually carried out by his lieutenants, and at least his implicit approval, it seems to me, now seven-plus years later, Mr. Obama with the audacity to say he's deeply troubled by different realities and a divided media. Chairman James Comer, who is leading the investigation of the Biden crime family, joined me on The Great America Show last week. And Chairman Comer gave me his judgment on whether he thinks President Obama knew what his vice president was involved in over that last year of the Obama presidency. Everyone assumed it was because he was gaff prone or because of his age. I believe 
Lou, that it was because he knew what Joe Biden was doing during the last year of his vice presidency. He knew his son was no good, and he knew this was nothing but a political liability, not just for our country, not just for the Democrat Party, but for Barack Obama's legacy, because a lot of this happened during the Obama administration. So I think that's why Obama didn't want Joe Biden to run for president. I think it's because they knew about this. And remember, a lot of these cover-ups would have happened during the Obama administration with Obama appointees uh, in the in these deep state bureaucracies. So, you know, this would be a great question for President Obama. Did you were you aware of what was going on with Joe Biden with respect to foreign policy in in some of these uh, ragtag countries around the world? And I think Obama knows more than than we first realized. Our guest today is attorney Bud Cummins. Bud is the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Arkansas. In 2018, Bud alerted then-New York U.S. attorney Jeff Berman in an email explaining that there was evidence that Joe Biden was exercising influence to protect Hunter Biden. Five years ago, But the DOJ and FBI, you may not be surprised to learn, declined to investigate. Bud, welcome. It's great to have you with us here on The Great America Show. I want to start with how is it that you came to approach the U.S. attorney in New York about evidence of corruption on the part of the Bidens? I was asked, probably because I still had former colleagues from my service in DOJ, who had risen to, you know, some fairly high levels in the attorney general's office and in some of the U.S. attorney's offices, I was asked to try to arrange a secret meeting, essentially, uh, where the prosecutor general of Ukraine, Mr. Litsenko, uh, had a desire to come to the U.S. and make a, a, you know, private presentation, a confidential presentation to the highest levels of DOJ possible. Uh, uh, to present actual evidence uh, to support allegations uh, of corruption that were basically in two categories, and we drill down. But one of them, one of them was that, that some of the information that kind of started the Paul Manafort investigation that U.S. officials had asked Ukrainian officials to alter certain documents, and then the second general category was the one we've heard about quite a bit lately. Uh, Hunter Biden's payments from a company called Burisma, uh, and and the the uh, and and specific allegations that some of the money was to go to Joe Biden. Well, those had to pique your interest. What what year was this now? This is in uh, they. I was asked right after Labor Day in 2018, and I kind of made the attempts to arrange the meeting in October. And by the end of October 2018, I pretty much. Uh, backed off. Yeah, the the reason I ask obviously is that the Trump this is the Trump administration during that period. Uh there are all of the strains that are, exist between Ukraine and the and the Trump White House as well as we've uh, we've already all of us seen that uh, famous video of Joe Biden bragging about prosecution uh, getting rid of a prosecutor. Uh, and uh, if that doesn't happen, getting rid of a billion dollars for the Ukraine. Uh, it, it, it it was contemporaneous with all of that. Uh, what was your reaction when your your former associates or, or friends called you to arrange this or this meeting? 
Well, it, it was it was some, actually some Ukrainian connected people that asked me. It was bad. They did ask me because it was you know told to them that I had the kind of connections that might be useful to make make the meeting. But uh, when when they came to me and laid it out, I, I certainly wasn't you know uh, knowledgeable about the politics in mm-hmm. Ukraine. I didn't really know the history of the Obama administration's activity in Ukraine. I certainly didn't know who these various individuals were. The names, frankly, are kind of difficult to, to you know, for an American to, to get, get his mouth around. And so I just tried to understand them the best I could, did my own independent research to try to put it in perspective a little bit, really, frankly, just determine if I thought it was plausible or, if, you know, people come to you with some pretty crazy stuff and sometimes you're willing to help but sometimes you're not it everything they told me seemed to be plausible and i thought it was something that if i were at the department of justice i would want to evaluate so i did go forward and make the offer when they declined to you know look at it uh i assumed one of three things one, I thought, well, maybe they're already investigating this and they don't want me, compli- you know, they don't need my outside interference. Or two, maybe they, instead of going back through me, they just said, okay, let's go directly to Mr. Litsenko and arrange this and cut Bud out because he's not part of the Department of Justice anymore. Or three, that they didn't want to look at it for political reasons. I really kind of felt in my gut it was the third, but I really didn't know. And and I, I out of respect for the organization and the system, I backed off. You know, I had media con- contacts, I had political contacts, and I, you know, I could have gone and tried to make it, you know, connected these people so they could make these allegations publicly, but I just didn't think that was the right thing to do. Were you, the people who came to you, were they, I mean, did you have a working relationship, a professional relationship? Were you representing them or lobbying uh, with them? The no, Ukrainians? they had come I was doing some legal work for uh, another person who who suggested they come see me, and so uh, I didn't know them. I didn't know I didn't know about them. Uh, one of them was a, had dual citizenship; was an American and Ukrainian. The other two were Ukrainian, uh, former or uh, maybe at the time present government officials. And they, they represented to me that they spoke on behalf of the prosecutor general. Right. And, and Lachenko, a, a controversial figure even then, and his relationships, uh, everyone keenly aware with the Biden administration uh, and the Ukrainian government, the, the accusation that was being made, did they provide you, did they describe to you the evidence that they had against, well, involving either uh, Paul Manafort and the role of the uh, government uh, in its dealings with Manafort, or uh, the the evidence of the Burisma relationship with Hunter Biden, and uh, as they uh, avowed, uh, with Joe Biden himself. Only in the most general terms, they said they had some ledgers and, and you know wire transfer records and things like that documentary evidence, the kind of documentary evidence you would expect that would document transfers of money to certain people. But they also said that they had eyewitnesses, people who were told to transfer the money and told why they were being transferred the money and or that they were being asked to transfer money and being told who the who was going to get the money, including Joe Biden. 
and they had people that were supposedly going to be willing to testify about U.S. officials pressuring them to to alter uh, evidence related to Paul Manafort. And and who else? Uh, Hunter Biden as well indicated to you. Was it indicated to you that Hunter Biden would be receiving that money? Any yeah, of Hunter's he, business partners? Yes, Hunter was central to the story, as was uh, Devin Archer, uh, Christopher Hines, uh, John Kerry's stepson was in the story, and uh, but also Joe Biden was specifically mentioned. But it, it was mostly a story about Hunter Biden's activities. Uh, collecting money, but but as I understood it, one witness was going to say that he was specifically told that one transfer was Joe's piece of it. So who did you take the, take the if you will, the, the evidence to, the suggestion of that evidence? Who did you approach uh, for investigation in the U.S. Attorney's Office? Well, the short answer is I went to the Southern District of New York, the U.S. Attorney in the Southern District of New York, which, as you know, is the largest U.S. Attorney's Office of the 94 judicial districts of the country. Uh, you know, stepping back a little bit, if you'll think back to the fall of 2018, the man, you know, said, the Democrats had intentionally and knowingly uh, presented the government with false information that led to the Russia probe. Right. Mueller, uh, Sessions had recused. Uh, Rob, uh, Rosenstein was uh, was in charge of the Russia probe. He'd appointed Mueller. I think we were about six months out from the Mueller report. And so the Democrats had succeeded in basically turning DOJ on its head. It wasn't functioning. They didn't know which way to go because they were being accused of everything. And, and you know, so I, I just felt like even though that I was asked to arrange a meeting with Sessions, that that was a non-starter based on the environment that I knew existed over there at that time. And so I just felt this was such a politically charged allegation that it would be better suited just to take to a, you know, a U.S. attorney's office where they're supposed to just block and tackle and do their job every day. And, and so because Devin Archer was in the story, he was under indictment at that time on an unrelated matter in Southern District of New York. So I thought it was logical to take it to the Southern District of New York because they actually had a defendant that was motivated to help himself that might be able to quickly corroborate it or, or you know, help them debunk it. So I thought that was a logical place. It also by then was starting to get the reputation of the place that evidence and truth go to die. Uh, it, it was just a, a highly politicized. Actually, at that point, it seemed more politicized than the D.C. Uh, U.S. Attorney, uh, Attorney's Office. Is that the way you remember it? It's the way I do. Well, Jeff Berman was a Trump appointee, and I, I knew Jeff, you know, but not well, I, but I was acquainted with him. And I, I assumed that he would, you know, if I went directly to him, that he would see that it got, uh, you know, kind of a neutral analysis and that they, they would follow through. I, you know, I can't tell you what Jeff's reaction to it was or if he helped kill it or if the FBI. I mean, I, I know of other instances of, uh, where I believe the FBI has just intentionally slow walked or killed an investigation mm -hmm. uh, rather even over the objections or the intentions of the U.S. attorney. So 
it could have it could have been that, but I wasn't there. I don't know. I don't know what happened internally. I just know that I offered them what should have been some pretty interesting evidence in a, a public corruption company that or public corruption case that allegedly went to some pretty high levels of government, and they didn't seem to be interested. Well, we've learned one thing over the years, haven't we? It is pretty hard to get the FBI to investigate Hunter Biden or Joe Biden. And so they're protecting somebody. And we're going to take that up with Bud Cummins when we continue in just a moment about just who is being protected. Who are they covering up for? Because it is clear they are. We'll be right back. Stay with us. First Republic, PacWest, Silicon Valley Bank, just a few of the latest casualties in the banking crisis. Don't wait for the email reading, sorry, your account has been frozen, your accounts aren't safe. We must take action now to protect what we've worked so hard to build. Believe me, you can protect your wealth by utilizing one straightforward tax loophole that's perfectly legal. Call my friends at American Alternative Assets and request your free wealth protection guide. Call 866 the number 3 USA Gold. That's right. Call now. 866-387-2465. This invaluable guide will outline the precise steps you need to take immediately to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals, all without any tax consequence. We're back now. We're talking with attorney Bud Cummins. Bud, we're talking about the hesitancy, it seems, of the federal investigators and prosecutors to go anywhere near Joe Biden. Uh, he is, it looks to me at least, uh, the most protected person, uh, in, certainly in government. Uh, and it appears that uh, <laughs> that Hunter Biden enjoys the same level of protection. Did such thoughts ever occur to you? Well, yes. And, you know, honestly, Lou, if Hunter Biden is never held accountable for, you know, his various, you know, obvious acts of misconduct, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. I, you know, I, I don't wish for anybody to be in jail. I wish that every everybody that's, you know, violates the law. I think that the system is supposed to investigate, produce the truth and, and require accountability, whatever that looks like. But I think there's a much bigger question, and that that is how far are we going to get into this before we just say there's a dual system of justice in this country? It's totally politicized, and people have totally lost confidence in it. I think that's not just problematic. I think it's it's one of the most serious problems that could have happened in this country, and I think it frankly has happened. Yeah, I, I was. I'm glad you said that because I, I, I'm one of those people that doesn't. I don't believe there's a two two tier system of justice. I don't believe that there is uh, anything other than one system of justice, and that is for the Marxist Dems who lead the Democrat Party, who are the masters of this puppet president, uh, and the rest of us uh, <laughs> regular Americans, uh, moderates, conservatives, independents, Republicans. You know, good luck if you get ensnared in one of the jurisdictions of the Marxist left. Uh, and no better example of it than the January 6th political prisoners who still suffer to this very day from what has been a, 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 a just a, a, an onerous uh, and vicious 
uh, prosecution on part of uh, the Department of Justice, uh, viciousness on the part of the investigators of the FBI, and the uh, and the oversentencing of the federal judiciary is uh, a stain that will remain forever uh, on this uh, country's court system. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you use the terms Marxist and Lou. I, you know, I was a congressional candidate 25 years ago. I'm a I'm a pretty conservative guy, and I imagine your audience is pretty conservative, but you know, a lot of us don't want to be uh, labeled as right-wing nuts, you know, going around accusing everybody of being a commie. And, you know, for years, I would have avoided those kind of labels. Uh, I also, you know, as conservative as I am, I've also worked in government, so I kind of consider myself a practical conservative. It's not enough just to say, you know, government shouldn't be doing all these things and shouldn't socialize. But, if you're going to be in government, you got to run the government we have. And so you've got to accept that there is a social security system and it needs to run well. And there is a, a VA and et cetera. So I don't, you know, I've never considered, my point is I've never considered myself a conspiracy nut or a right wing, you know, hardcore, but look, I went to school. I've read a little history. I think we all have that in every country where Marxism has taken hold, it starts with suppression of free speech, you know, check that box in the United States. It's, it, you know, it starts with monkeying with election integrity. Check that box in the United States. It, it's, it, it includes a massive propaganda machine that's, you know, facilitated by a corrupt media where they can announce that the border's secure while you're watching with your own eyes 10,000 people cross the border. You know, check that box. Uh, and, and in all the countries, they start investigating their political opponents and they prosecute them. And and you can check that box, too, because it's happening. It's happened. And so, you know, they also water down national security and, and they're doing that with the open border and everything else. The only thing that I haven't seen yet, really, that I think goes along with the, the executing the Marxist plan is you start exiling people. And I don't know that they, they, you know, I may be on a boat by tomorrow, but I think we all. Thing that people people get this they come up to me all the time and they say how concerned they are but you know what nobody really knows what to do they watch these people get over prosecuted for january 6 i'm a former prosecutor i don't know what to do to help them i respect the system i respect the authority of my government it's been taken over and politicized so at what point what's the day i'm supposed to stand up and say you know i've had enough and i'm not going to take anymore what's that look like and people ask me that all the time what can we do? And that, that's where we need to spend our, the, the case is made. Our government's been weaponized. It's been politicized, not just the Department of Justice, the Department of State, 51 people in the intelligence community signed a very political false letter. It's been weaponized. What are we supposed to do about it? And what day do we start? And that's the big question. I think. Yeah, I think you framed that exactly correctly. And I couldn't agree with you more. I, I would add one thing. Uh, the Marxist Dem, Democrat Party have made it very clear that they mean to destroy the American family. Uh, they, it's not an accident that simultaneously in our courts, uh, in, our, uh, ju in our judiciary, our prosecutors, they're willing to frame a president of the United States, which is exactly what they did. There's exactly. no, there, there's just no equivocation. There's no ambiguity uh, about this. There are no blurred, uh, but bold lines anywhere. It's just straightforward in our faces. They tried, 
to frame a president of the United States. They nearly, they did get away with for a time framing his national security advisor. And still they go on and still not a single person who committed crimes in so doing uh, in the FBI, the Department of Justice. Uh, they haven't been held to account at all. And you talk about what is the, the big question is, when do I say I'm not going to take this anymore? I've got to tell you, I, I can't I've never taken a poll of my audience or most Americans. I'm a guy who believes fervently in middle class America. It's where uh, our, the American dream burns brightest. It's where everyone works and strives to get to. But the middle class in this country is looking out there going, where in the world are our are defenders, our champions? Uh, where are those that we can count on to lead this nation with integrity and with courage and uh, fidelity to our founding values? You tell me where they are because they're not in this administration. Well, and, and there's too many, you know, there are some dedicated Marxists. There just are. I mean, I saw on a headline this morning that one of AOC's staff members is now the head of the Communist Party in New York. So there you go. <laughs> there it is. You don't have to. You don't have to. It's not very subtle. They're communists. They're they're Marxists. But uh, there are so many people that are electing these people that are just willing idiots. You know, and you. Yeah. They're elitists. They're they they they're afraid to be wrong. They're afraid to be accused of false accusations of not caring for the poor or racism or, or you know, single mothers or whatever it is that they're trying to, to, to accuse you of today. And they're so scared of that, that they get on the wrong side and they just, they have to come around and understand what's at stake because it used to be we, we argued with the, what we thought was the left about changes in our system of government, our democracy, our economic system. But now we're dealing with a party that represents half the country that wants to do away with our system and start a new system. And are, and they're being successful at it. And if they get far enough in it, the show's going to be over before you get to say anything. Yeah, we're getting very close, I think, to that point, bud. And we're talking about borders right now. We're watching millions of people's uh, millions of people Madness. crossing that border without uh, with an invitation from Joe Biden himself. And, and we have a group of people so intimidated in this country. There's only one group that won't say the word Marxist when talking about the, the so-called party of loyal opposition. And we're going to talk about that group here next and why they haven't the courage to say the word Marxist when they know very well what the Democrat Party has become. We're talking with Bud Cummins. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Great America Show continues. We're back now talking with Bud Cummins. We're talking about a group, Bud, that it's afraid. You know, we, we know the Democrats now, they're not afraid to say communist. They're not afraid to say Marxist because they, they've made it clear who they are. They're trying to destroy the family. They've destroyed the border. They've turned over the border, actually, to the operational control of the Mexican drug cartels. No, no doubt about it. Joe Biden is compromised. He is uh, right in line with Xi Jinping and the uh, Chinese Communist Party. But the people who seem to be very hesitant to say Marxist, 
are Republicans. And the Republicans have such a fear of the word and plain and straight talk. I've never seen the like of it, bud. Uh, even during the days of, uh, you know, moderate Republicans leading in the White House, there still were, you know, there was still the room for straight talk, uh, one of the great American values. This country used to be known for its innovation, its ingenuity, its uh, plain spoken, uh, straight up, straightforward, uh, you know, conduct as citizens or as a government. We're far, far from that now, aren't we? Right. And that, I mean, we started out talking about Hunter Biden. And, and like I said, Hunter Biden's not particularly important, but himself, but there used to be some measure. And you and I are old enough to remember. I mean, I'm not so naive to think that the media was totally neutral back in the Walter Cronkite days. But in those days, if you got caught lying, if, if Joe Biden got caught lying or plagiarizing a speech, he was outed, embarrassed in the media. There was some accountability. There was public accountability. You got shamed. You had to resign from a job. You had to do whatever. And there's now we've they figured out that there is no accountability. You, yep. Did Hunter Biden take millions and millions of dollars from some of the worst people? Keep in mind, by the way, in this story, the guy that was paying Hunter Biden was a guy named Mikola Slochewski. He wasn't. He was an oligarch that was widely known to be corrupt. He was a pro-Russian guy. Hunter was working for the Russians, not the Ukrainians, not the people that you know. Some people were hanging the flag out their window and wanting to send more money to. He was working for the Russians in this. But there's no accountability, and 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 then uh, you know they're they're prosecuting people all over this country where there's circumstantial evidence of them taking money and government positions where. It could be legal, but they're just accusing them of having corrupt intent. Nobody's ever explained to me what a legitimate reason to give Hunter Biden a million dollars would be, what service he could provide. Nobody's even, there's so little accountability, they haven't even been forced to do that. There's so little accountability, nobody's gone to Obama and said, did you know Hunter Biden was out there taking money when you put Joe Biden in, in charge of Ukraine on behalf of your administration? When he fired this prosecutor, was that a was that an Obama administration policy? Did, was that discussed at the State Department? Are there memorandum backed up that decision that, that that was a widely held decision, or is that just something Joe did and told you about it later? I mean, there's no accountability. I, you don't have you know you would have to be Sherlock Holmes to ask those questions, but nobody's asking. Well, actually, I did ask that question of James Comer, and uh, what did. Uh, Obama, no. And and James Comer, who chairs, as you know, the House Oversight Committee, and I think most people do now, uh, he said he believes that he did know. And I and I really and I also ask him, how in the world could you have these millions of dollars moving around with the vice president of the United States, his family name on all of these uh, uh, these suspicious activity reports by the banks. By I think the, I think the last number that the chairman Comer gave me was 170 of them, all pertaining to the Bidens. That's a big deal. So why in the world would the Secret Service not know what's going on? The Treasury Department not know know well, what's going on. They documented. Lou, that the State Department, immediately upon Hunter Biden's appointment to this board, the State Department expressed concern about it and expressed concern about the, you know, because 
they've been whipsawing the poor Ukrainians. They're dangling money over their heads, but demanding they fire this guy and do this and do that. And and this, and, but mainly about you know saying you have a corrupt country, you have to get on top of this corruption. And they expressly they expressed concerns that was totally ignored uh, mm-hmm. about Hunter getting on that board and taking that money. Christopher Hines, John Kerry's uh, stepson was in this story. And for some reason, right about that time, he bailed out. He got away from it. But John Kerry uh, uh, later on denied he knew anything about it. And he and it's documented that the State Department briefed him immediately when Hunter joined that board. I think that, that Christopher Hines and John Kerry are a little smarter than the Bidens. And they, they figured out they needed to back off of that. And yeah, I, th- I, I think you're right. And uh I'm not sure that that isn't faint praise, uh, frankly, to su- suggest they're they're <laughs> high bar. <laughs> but uh, but I, I do want to go to that issue, and, and that is, where was the, the FBI and the entire intelligence community under Obama? Not only are they putting together uh, disinformation, Russian disinformation, it isn't. It was Obama disinformation. That right. 51 signatures on that letter ca- claiming Russian information had only one point, and that point was to intervene in the election of 2020, and they did it. They changed history. And there's, as you said, no accountability. And I want to get your sense, too, as a former federal prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Why in the world, why in the world wouldn't there be an investigation? How much pressure do you believe there would have to be for a U.S. attorney not to prosecute over the period of six years, Hunter Biden. I don't really know what the definition of the deep state is, but it's a it's alive and well in the management of the FBI. And I, I you know, I don't, I can't necessarily pin Chris Ray or whoever whoever else, but but it's been a problem, and it, they have a cultural problem, they have a management problem, and it needs. I, I there's a new president. I would advise them to either shut it down the fbi i don't know that we need it it'd be better to not have it than to have this but it certainly needs to be rebuilt from the ground up no that's not- i i investigated republicans i investigated democrats it's not that hard to, to do it fairly you, you know you you make sure your investigative team is kind of represented politically so you, you keep each other honest you keep your mouth shut you don't leak you go see if there's anything to it if there is you make a case if there's not, you fold your tent and you go off quietly in the night. You don't slander their name. That's how you're supposed to do it. John Ashcroft, incidentally, I want to tell you this story. John Ashcroft, when I became a U.S. attorney and he gave this, you had to meet with him before you could finalize the appointment process. And that talk was about him looking you in the eye one-on-one and saying, you know, he, he said to me, Bud, I've been a, in politics. I've been a governor. I've been a senator. I've been very political. I see in your resume you've been involved in a lot of politics. He said, that's great. But I've, he said, I've studied the history of the Department of Justice, and every time they've been, you know, hurt their name is because they didn't recognize where the line is to not get involved in politics. And he said, if you don't understand that, you will not be here working for me very long. And he meant it. And he was right. You have to have that ability to, to hang that, that part of your life outside the, the door and when you go to work. And these people have completely lost and I think the American people, to your point earlier, have lost all faith in and, and trust in, and by the way, I think appropriately so, 
the Department of Justice, the FBI. They are they are so compromised, uh, politically corrupt. It's pervasive. It is deep and I think intractable. And I don't know what will be required to expunge uh, the evil that has been done uh, within the vaunted Department of Justice and the FBI. But it's going to take, I think, a, a great deal uh, to that point. Uh, the idea that we are watching whistleblowers and informants to the House Investigation Committee, quote unquote, uh, vanish. This is deeply concerning, I would think, to every American when when the chairman of the House Oversight Committee says we're looking for these uh, an informant. We're looking for whistleblowers who were with us and now have vanished. This is this is rising to a level beyond anything we've seen before. There's intimidation, uh, and then there is uh, a, a level of criminality uh, that could extend to violence. Yep. Well, look, Lou, two, three, four generations of American kids have been taught that Richard Nixon was the most corrupt person to ever serve as president. The Watergate was a national scandal that almost took us to the brink. And I would challenge somebody to go back and go through the actual affirmative acts that were committed and some wrongdoing clearly by the Nixon, by Richard Nixon himself and his moronic staff that led to a, bur a dumb burglary and, and uh, you know, a cover up. But it was all committed outside of government. They didn't use the government to do this stuff. This was campaign stuff. And, and as I recall, or as my understanding, it was only when he went to the CIA and tried to get them to get involved and help him that the Republicans gave up on him and said, you got to resign. I mean, it was that sensitive that he had, they learned that he had tried to use the government for political purposes. How do you contrast that to what we've seen in the last five, six, eight years? It, 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 these people have taken government agencies and weaponized them and used them in ways that are so much more serious than a dumb burglary into some, you know, the guy that was in charge of campaign signs at the Democratic National Committee. So, you know, but ask your grandson who who's the most worst, the most corrupt president in the American history, and he's going to say Richard Nixon because that's what they've been taught. Right. Well, and all they're being taught right now is just about everything they're being taught right now is of concern to nearly every family. Uh, but that's a subject for another day. But what do we do and when do we do it? That's the that's the question. What are we supposed to do about it? And when what day do we know to do it? And nobody seems to know. the answer. Well, I have to confess, I'm one of those people who does not know. Uh, I know that uh, we have a group of people in our Congress for the first time who actually mean to get that question answered. They're doing their best to answer it. And I want to say and I want to give great credit uh, to Congressman Jim Jordan and to Congressman James Comer, who are leading that fight. Uh, these are two exceptional uh, talents uh, and, and patriots uh, in exactly the right place at the right moment in our history. So I just want to uh, say that about uh, those folks who are leading right now uh, for the good of the country. Uh, Absolutely. Bud Cummins, I've enjoyed talking with you. I know the audience has enjoyed uh, listening to you, uh, as have I. I. I appreciate your time, and I hope you'll come back with us here on The Great America Show. I'd love to. I enjoy talking to you. Thank you for having me. Bud Cummins, former U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Arkansas, thanks for being with us today. And thank you for joining us. Our guest tomorrow will be former Navy SEAL Robert O'Neill. 
Rob's making it clear that his Navy has gone in a direction that he doesn't appreciate. We'll take it up with Rob here tomorrow. You don't want to miss Rob O'Neill. Please join us right here on The Great America Show. Till then, God bless you, and may God bless America.